Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. SUAS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, Patrick Egan. We're not going to do any current events today. We're going to launch right into the um, subject here of the, the podcast um, and bring on our guest. Um, today's podcast is UAS Integration into Civil Airspace. This is this is going to be this is going to be a good one. We're going to we're going to another Marianas Trench deal in uh, the global airspace integration effort. So without further ado, let's bring on our guest, uh, Mr. Douglas Marshall. He's the CEO of True North Consulting LLC and the author of this book, UAS Integration into Civil Airspace. Hello, Doug. Good morning, Patrick. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, well, you know, it's been a really long time. We know. Doug was on, uh, for full disclosure, Doug was on, not, well, it was probably a long time ago because I've been on a little bit of a show hiatus, you know, <laughs> with my uh, three jobs that I need to live here in California. Uh, but you were on, and we had you on, and you were, uh, was part of the series on the drones are proposal. A little brief history on that is kind of a concept that I had that we kind of had somebody that was, would act kind of like the focal point or liaison between the, let's say, commercial sector or end-user sector, even bigger than just commercial, uh, end-user sector and the the regulator. And that's another good podcast. You should probably listen to that. And after we go through this podcast, you'll understand why I um, nominated Doug as a possible drone czar. Um, it's going to be interesting. And I know... Most most folks, you know, there's going to be lots of elephant references. But before we get into that, Doug, uh, for the benefit of the listeners, could could you kind of give the listeners a little, you know, relevant bio of how you came to work with unmanned aircraft systems? Okay, sure, Patrick. I'll try to keep this short. But I've been I was just counting counting the years. It's been about uh, 18 years that I've been involved with unmanned systems. Um, I left a law career. I retired from that after 28 years to transition to a teaching position at the University of North Dakota back in 1998. And I think around in 2004 or 5, uh, UND got involved in uh, both civil and military uh, research and development. Uh, regarding unmanned systems, and that was prompted by a, uh, a markup or a grant 
or contract actually uh, implemented by Senator then Senator Byron Dorgan, trying to bring new industry and uh, activity to North Dakota, but specifically to try to save uh, a couple of the Air Force bases that were earmarked for closure. And so unmanned systems seemed to be a good way to step into that. And he actually proposed way back when uh, uh, that the FAA actually designate the entire state of North Dakota as a test range, which was yeah, the idea of, at the time they thought it was preposterous, but actually it, the idea eventually evolved into the evolved into the eight test ranges that we have now. So my personal involvement with that was really from the beginning, just helping the Air Force and CDP at the time to to develop some training programs for the Predator programs and then um, helping with the bed down of the Global Hawk mission from Beale Air Force Base to North Dakota. And then uh, the FAA had a, a sponsored a program called CIGARS, Center, Center for General Aviation Research, with five universities involved, and UND was one of them. And uh, one of the first opportunities they pitched to UND was research on UAS regula or regulations as they might apply to unmanned systems. And I raised my hand and volunteered to undertake the project, and you know, kind of the rest of history from there. I've been involved in several FAA projects over the years and grants. Uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's funny, you know, because uh, <laughs> I think about all of this history. I think we're going to have to start doing this dog year thing pretty quick. You know, well, how long have you? Well, I've been three dog years, and uh, yeah, <laughs> in uh, in this thing. So, I mean, I'm going to try and unpack some of this for the listeners because there's so much, and I and I know that you um, hear this all the time too. It's like, oh, you know, drones are new. Oh God, you know, this this drone thing. And you know what? You can use drones to do X, Y, and Z, right? I don't know if you roll right. your eyes. I kind of roll my eyes and I'm like, oh, for the love of Pete. Yeah. No, I do. I read read this stuff in the news and think, you know, you people that think that this is a, a new technology, you know, are about 15 years behind the, the, the power curve there, and it's there's been activities going on for a long time here. Well, and then, you know, it's like, well, you know, you were part of the first wave and the second wave and the third wave and the fourth wave and all that. And it's like, nah, you know, I'm not that old. Okay. Cause there were, right. there were right. waves in, you know, the thirties and forties. And I, and I think I, I did share that document from the Lockheed Missile at Space Corporation from 1976 with you, right? That, that 300 and some right. page right. report. <laughs> That's a, right. Um, People should, that, that is on, uh, and that I think was uh, RPA for civilian use, that story's on SUS News. And I did want to ask you about that. Now, you, I, I, I shared that with some folks. I shared it with uh, PK at NASA, and I shared it with Jay Merkel at the uh, UASIO. I never got any replies, but I thought it was pretty comprehensive, and I, I've, I've heard... Gene made the comments that he had heard a lot of those concepts and nomenclature and um, let's say to, to do tasks and whatever else. What, what was your takeaway from that uh, 300 and some odd pages in, in, a, in a Cliff's Notes well, thing? I, I wouldn't, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say that I 
you know, read word for word the entire report, but I sure. read enough of it or skimmed through it to understand that it was very prescient at the time. <laughs> and in some cases, not much has changed since then. It's, uh, it's, it was pretty amazing, actually. I really appreciate you bringing that to my attention because, yeah, this is nothing new. This, this is uh, the technology yeah. and the ideas have been out there for a long time. And, and even that report I found, you know, you probably, you know, I don't know if you watch Six Million Dollar Man. I did as a kid. I love that show. You know, he's like wrestling Bigfoot and stuff. But <laughs> it all kind of started yeah. out looking at, you know, NASA was doing research with remote control planes and a mothership and uh, the lifting bodies. And, you know, because people are, that's another thing that people keep saying, they're like, oh, you know, this drone technology, you never had anything like this, you know, before. It's like, yeah, no, you're wrong. You know, there there was uh, autopilots out there and there were people doing things and it did lead to the space shuttle and all the rest of this. So you're, you're wrong. And that was before cell phones and all the rest of that. But uh, even in that, there's a lot of concepts and we're going to go through some of that here because it's our kind of like a groundhog's day integration thing. And so, you know, we were on the ARC together, the uh, SUASR, which eventually after seven years became part 107. I don't, you know, I don't know if I, uh, and, and, and this is all building up to the, the punchline, which is going to be the book and, and, where it is and why it is and why it makes sense. So, you know, when we were on the ARC, um, you know, even thinking about this other report, NASA, and all, all of the other ancillary work that's been done and Access 5 and the cigars thing you were talking about, UND's been flying around for years, and, and we're, we're going to get into the New Mexico State. We're going to get into all of this stuff. But, you know, the ARC thing, right? I mean, I, I kind of... I really felt like we had already as, I mean, I've been cleaning out the shed. I'm on a, uh, I've been, that's another thing I've been doing this summer. I'm on the honey-do list. And it's like, clean out the shed. And I've been cleaning out the shed. And I, there's a lot of history there, Doug, of stuff. You know, uh, we, were you yeah. part of the uh, RTCA SC203 thing? I, I thought you were there. Right? Weren't you part of that? Yeah, I was there. Because, you know, the guy, um, and I'm going to have him on, the CEO of RTCA, was like, hey, you know, what do you, maybe you could give me some insights into that uh, standards thing. And I'm like, how long you got, buddy? <laughs> I yeah, got, I mean. Uh, I got yeah. lots of insights. Yeah, right? So, uh, I, now. I, I, I attended RTCA meetings for quite a long time until we had a meeting back, in, I think, at the MITRE facility in, in McLean, Virginia, and there was like 150 people in the room. We spent an entire day arguing over one or two terms. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> I don't need this. <laughs> you know, I guess I can well, go off and do something uh, more productive than this. It was crazy. Well, that and there, there are other, uh, let's say, standards shenanigans that go on. And, and that's one thing, you know, even right. with the art. Remember, the RTCA was the blessed effort. Remember, they were like, oh. RTCA and have this history, which they do. And I really want to talk about the uh, DO variants. I'm going to have him on, and I'm going to. I want to talk about the DO variants for, uh, let's say, certification for autopilots, 
software, partitions, you know, and we're going to do a deep dive on that one. That one ought to be, that one ought to be fun um, to talk yeah. about that because you have the, the drone people are off doing their own thing. They've been like, oh, we're doing drone code and we're going to, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't know what drone code is. But you know, we already have established standards. But anyway, so yeah, you're, you're right. You know, so that was the established, uh, let's say, or the blessed effort. And then I think a lot of people kind of came to the realization that you just had or you shared. And the FAA was like, look, you know, we, we only have one vote here in our TCA process. And you have a huge group of people and everybody's got their dog in the fight. Everybody wants what they want. And we're not going to get anything done. So then we're going to go over here to our TCA. Or I'm sorry, ASTM, which I know you were part of that too, right? Correct. Yep. Were you there when I was still an ongoing process, of course? Yes, it is. Were you there uh, when I left in a huff? I've I've only left probably all of these efforts in a huff at one point or another. At ASTM? Yes, at ASTM. And I left RTCA in a huff, too. I know it's hard to believe, but uh, I remember having a very spirited conversation with uh, Jeff uh, Goldie Goldfinger in front of the right. stop. And, God, where was I? I think I was in like North Carolina or something. <laughs> anyway, but uh, you probably remember at the time they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to, you know, they're going to uh, release the 107 thing and it's going to be in the federal register. And then what you're going to do is it's going to reference and you can pay the 75 bucks and then you can go over and read the ASTM standards. That will be part of the rule later, but those aren't going to be included in the federal register. Do you remember that? Yep, sure do. So, yeah, so Egan blew a gasket in front of the waffle stuff over that one. Yeah, I do remember uh, that actually. Now that you mentioned it, I'd forgotten that. But, you know, I was I was chair of, of a a work group for ASTM for operations over people, developing that standard, and it went on for four years, and I finally stepped away from it because we couldn't. We couldn't come to any kind of an agreement between uh, the group that was doing the work and the representatives from the FAA. Now, they had a different concept of what, what they had in mind. And it was just a, a vicious circle of, of us asking questions and them throwing it back at us um, to be more innovative, I guess, in the approach. And then they became innovative and they said, well, no, that's not what we want. So at several meetings where I, you know, was up presenting to the group and said, with the FAA in the room, said, tell us what you want. You know, <laughs> we got to have some direction here. And even after I stepped down, it took them another three years to actually develop the, uh, the standard. I mean, it's just, it was crazy. Well, and, you know, and the standard thing is good and you get with your peers, you know, and you're, and you know, everybody's like, it's like the, the, the parable. And I said, I warned everyone about the elephant references here. You know, it's like the five blind monks are describing the elephant, you know, and describes the, the trunk and the ear and the tail and all the rest of that. So it is good. Uh, the, the rub for me is, is that you do 15 or 17 years of standards work and the FAA, you know, doesn't adopt any of these standards. They just adopted that RID standard, which is a relatively newcomer in the standards thing. 
So, you know, that's my frustration. It's like, man, I, you know, this is a, this turned into a career, you know, life or let's say span. And you guys didn't, um, it's a two way street, you know, you got to say, okay, well, we're going to adopt it. We're going to adopt that. You know, that, that's one of my frustrations. And I don't know if you share that. Well, or then not, you get but, a, yeah. It's the same. Yeah. And there's a change in leadership, both at the FAA and at the at ASPM and other organizations. And they kind of take different approaches to things. And, it's just sort of a never-ending closed loop, you know, where things really don't move forward like they could. And you've got a lot of really smart people in the room that, you know, has some great ideas and, you know, some real thinkers. And, and it's just frustrating to not be able to come to a conclusion on some of these things. Uh, or when they do, then, like you said, the FAA doesn't adopt it or or won't publish it or whatever the situation is. It's uh, It's gets in the way of progress is the best way of putting it. Exactly. And so, you know, and, and all of this kind of culminates into a frustration for me where, uh, and I'm, I'm becoming more and more, and I think that we are seeing, uh, let's say, I, I, I don't know if I just want to call it politics or bureaucracy or whatever, but I, I think that we're really starting to see, when you look at the history of like NASA, when it was NACA and, you know, uh, the, 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 you're from California, and I'm sure you're going to remember all of the different aerospace companies that were here and the competition and the century series of, of aircraft and things like that. That all seems to be gone now. And, uh, you know, there, I, I don't think it's a good thing. I think that the um, progress and the innovation is really kind of slowed and been stymied by these political bureaucratic type of efforts and, and and i understand there's a risk aversion or whatever but on the on the drone thing man i mean they they, they went hard over uh, so hard over that you know we've seen the chinese basically as far as i'm concerned they they basically just stepped in and kind of usurped the whole 107 envelope with with their products and i don't know do you, you see some of that frustration that i'm talking about or Maybe you see it a different yeah, way. Absolutely. I don't know. Right, I do. It, it, my dad was, uh, my father was an aerospace engineer and worked for McDonnell Douglas when we first moved to California and then eventually to another company called Aerotronics, which was absorbed by two other companies along the way. Now it's part of Lockheed Martin. But it's the same kind of thing, a consolidation in the industry and a different way of doing business. And my dad's nine, almost 97 and he still talks about it, how the industry changed so much, even since he's left, since he retired, that it's it's more profit-driven than it is technology-driven, uh, which he finds really frustrating. Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that was so one of the things that was – go ahead. No, I just say they're, they're so concerned about the bottom line and shareholder value and less concerned about big issues like safety and <laughs> innovation and, you know, uh, taking you know aerospace or aviation into the future, you know it's just a it's a different environment altogether. Well, that's another thing that you're probably you know perusing that report that I said you that Lockheed uh, did 1976. Gene was blown away on like you know they have the cost of an aircraft. I want to say you know like the Cessna was you know forty thousand dollars or less for a brand new Cessna. Right. And I'm like, uh, what's it, you know, I think that 182 with the glass cockpits going for, I think it starts at a half mil, you know, 
which, yeah, you know, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it, well, you know, it kind of cuts out a lot of the the folks who can. Oh, here's another kicker on that one that you'll like is uh, God. I want to say that they they said that the storage for an aircraft in the hangar for San Jose, this is the San Jose, you know, uh, airport uh, was like a. I, I want to say I don't know. Kind of, I, I don't even want to misquote it. I, I don't know if it was a. I think it was 15 cents square foot or something for hangar space. It was laughable uh, to where we are 15, today. What? Cents a square foot to, to rent. Oh, um, a square foot. Yeah, for hangar space to, you know, store your airplane. Uh, sure. Not that way to say, you know, you probably have people living in there for 15 cents a square foot, but whatever. I'm pretty sure it was 15 cents yeah, a square foot. Um, Some people probably do, but... Yeah, move here and living under the wing. Um, and so, you know, some of the other stuff that you did, you were at uh, New Mexico State, uh, uh, was the, the PSL down there, which, right. you know, Doug Davis was down there. Um, I remember I was working at White Sands, and I came over and did the visit, and, you know, they invested a lot of money. They had the airspace behind the Oregon Mountains there, which was also part of, white sands but you know it was it was never even, even with the test sites and stuff it was never you know i don't want to beat up on the faa but it never seemed to me to be something that facilitated innovation or integration fair statement not a fair statement what do you think well for the time i was there i was just there for four years uh the only grant or project that we had, or at least that I worked on, that even got close to that was a, uh, a night vision study we did for NASA, actually, so flying drones against uh, uh, light support aircraft at night and just trying to generate a, a database for visibility of, of intruding aircraft and drones and, you know, what a, a ground observer or a VO could actually see at night. And that was a good project. We were out in the Hornado Range, you know, in the southern New Mexico desert doing this and bumping up against cows while we were trying to work. It was kind of cool. But um, the rest of it was – it wasn't advancing anything that I could see. I, I don't know actually what the source of their money was to even run the place. But I left because they ran out of money to support the projects that we were doing. So, right, right. I, I would disagree with your, your statement. When, when was that, just for reference, for the? Uh, 2011 through 2014. There you go. And there was, there was another uh, 2011 story. Were you at um, Peter Van Blyenberg's show in 2011 in Paris? Yeah. Did you yeah, go that year? Okay, I a, so. I was a speaker. I think I was a speaker. <laughs> Okay. Well, you know, you probably remember uh, I was there and I did a little grousing. Um, I don't know if you remember that. I think at the time, the head of the UAS, was it still UAPO at that time, or did they change to UASIO when, when Rick Prosek was there? Oh, you know, I don't remember, actually. <laughs> We're locking that what out. That a bad well, I just don't remember <laughs> the year. I mean, so much has happened. <laughs> Trying to fix the time frame on some of these things is really hard, but... Right. Now, the funny thing is he gets up there and he's like, we need data. And, yeah, we're going to – and so, you know, you're given some of this background and 
we were talking back and forth about this. <laughs> and I remember I got up and I was like, hey, uh, so what kind of day are you looking for? Maybe <laughs> you remember this exchange. And he says, yes. uh, well, we're, we're not quite sure. Do you remember this? Or am I uh, yes. jogging? Yeah, no, I do. Actually, now that you're saying it, yeah, I hadn't thought about it in a long time. I do remember <laughs> So then I asked him, I said, you got anything? It's like, well, we don't know, and we're, we haven't really figured out. I go, you got any idea, any inclination, anything jotted down on the back of a cocktail napkin? He didn't like that. <laughs> he, got, uh, I, he was a little upset about that. But, you know, I mean, guys like you and me, we'd already been, you know, this is 2011, and, you know, we'd already been, you know, the RTCA, the ASTM, you know. Yeah, RTCA for me was 2004, ASTM 2005, you know, uh, horsing around with the FAA since, you know, like 2002 or three. So at that point, you know, when people think it's like we're waiting a long time now, at that point, and you met, were you at the kickoff for ASTM too? Because you might have heard me grousing out there too. Uh, for F38, like, yeah, I, I was there actually, yeah. Okay, that's, so you remember. That's when Goldie was running the thing, right? Yeah, and uh, and remember, and Dan, uh, it was in, uh, uh, no, it wasn't Dan Elwell. It was um, who was the other guy that went over to certification? It was uh, he was part of the EAA, and he remember he came out and gave us the F thirty seven rah rah speech about how that LSA standard was going to save general aviation, and oh God, Earl Lawrence, you remember that? Yeah, Earl Lawrence, yeah, that's right, yep. <laughs> so then they put the schedule out for what ASTM thought the meetings were going to be, you know, and yeah, we're going to be working on standards. And this is 2005, and the schedule was out to 2009 and uh, on, on the paper. And I remember, like, you know, are you people crazy? <laughs> this was me. <laughs> when I read that schedule, 2009, you know, I, I can't, you know, I can't be a part of that. So, you know, anyway, <laughs> that's funny that, uh, Doug, you've been a witness to all of this grousing. <laughs> I know who to call when I need someone to uh, recall some of the, 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 the grousing over the years, the integration <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were it there. goes way back. I mean, I've got boxes full of notes and folders and, and uh, the rest of that from all these meetings. Literally, I've saved all this stuff, and someday I should put all that into another book. But it's uh, the whole history of this whole effort is almost incomprehensible. Uh, I, 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 take a I, I would agree right with that. Still, I, agree, I would agree with that. I've got a whole bunch of stuff, too. Like I said, I read through this, the Beyond Visual Inside Action Team, the, you know, yada, yada effort, uh, you know, somebody's going to, you know, whatever. I mean, there were so many efforts that effort and money and time were thrown at, and they were just dustbinned. But not not all of it. And then that's going to segue right into the book. So um, the book, again, is UAS Integration into Civil Airspace, Policy, Regulation, and Strategy. And some people who have been listening to the podcast this far would be like, well, you know, you didn't talk about the book. Uh, that's not true. What I was trying to do here was was kind of, you know, Bob Fosse this and paint the landscape to the book. Because, you know, it, I, I looked at it. I got on there. I looked at it. And I'm like, wow, 
and and again, this was one of the deals um, like this that we just had this memory lane thing and talking about all of these meetings and questions and all the rest of that stuff. We talked about it last time you were on. You said, oh, God, it took me a long time to, to write this. And, you know, and we know why, because we've discussed that. But I, I would, what I want you to or what I would like you to do is kind of give us, a, you know, the high altitude view of this book. And, and let's say the mindset that you had going into it. Well, um, as you said, I, I started on this project 11 years ago really it's almost embarrassing to admit that but i had a publisher widely that was supported the entire way they would pay me periodically and say how are you doing on your book i'd say well you know i've got a a version of it here but god i gotta go back and and revise half of it because things just changed yesterday and i mean literally as i was finishing this book uh and discussing some easa uh, regulations and some efforts over in europe uh, there was a, a change or an amendment to one of their regulations that came in like the day before I sent off the final transcript. And I said, you know, I, I can't keep doing this. I mean, it's changing so rapidly. I've got to have a stopping point and just close the book. And then maybe there'll be another edition or it'll be an online supplement or something. But it's so dynamic and there's so many moving parts that uh, trying to nail it all down into one book was really a task. And so, it took me that long because the environment that I was writing about changed so much over that period of time. Um, right. I hadn't seen much written about, you know, the, the whole global integration effort. You know, you see bits and pieces in various books and articles and things that you've done and others have done. Uh, but it's all a kind of a conglomeration of efforts all over the world that are scattered. And it's, it's really hard to get a handle on, you know, what's likely to to really move forward, move the ball so that uh, we can achieve whatever it is that <laughs> the regulators and the and the users, airspace users, want to do with right. you know, the kind of well, and, technology. And, so. and you're, you know that you're you're hitting. So those are some of the points too, because I you know I think we talked about it last time. I thought about it, man. I gotta memorialize this stuff, but it's the same thing. So you know that was one of the things. And we might be jumping ahead a little bit, but pretty comprehensive as you do talk about South America, Asia, Europe, the EU. And then people are like, oh, the EU. And then a lot of people are under the um, false assumption that like all of Europe is part of the EU. But I think there's 27 countries. Um, And then there's other people who are not members. Yeah, how many are there? No, there's 47 European countries and 27 are members of the EU and the uh, European commission is the commission that actually created EASA, the regulatory agency. And then of course, Euro control up in the upper altitude. So um, it's a different process in Europe, as I point out in the book and and hopefully explain it well enough. uh, You got 27 members of the European commission and they're all sovereign states and they all have their own ideas as what they want. And uh, then you have Germany that has 16 states within Germany, and each state within Germany can, you know, do their own drone regulations, similar to what you know, what happens here in the U.S. So pulling all that together is a just an incredible uh, organizational effort, and I think they've done a pretty good job for the most part. 
we made some progress on UTM and USpace and and uh, the whole integration picture. But you know they're years away from implementation. They keep pushing the, their implementing date back a year or two at a time because part of it because of the pandemic, but others just because right. things have changed so fast. You know, the technology has come along. So. And I do want to talk about that, too. I'd like to get a little bit of, uh, you know, shine a little light on that. And and the reason I want to do that is because, um, you know, and this is another thing that I think your book helps to do is give people, let's say, the roadmap of, or, or you know, I don't know, maybe it's like a wiring diagram or something for these efforts. Because the stuff that you just kind of talked about, right, there's these inner mechanical workings, and people don't understand it. So every once in a while, and I'm sure you've done this too, or if you've noticed this, people are like, oh, you know, the Europeans are, you know, light years ahead of the Americans. And then they'll come back and they're like, oh, God, we're, we're watching the light on the train. The caboose is going down the tracks, you know, over there in Europe. But you guys are leading the way. And yada, yada, right? So there's like kind of like people are jockeying for, uh, you know, we're, we're doing the airspace integration thing and we're killing it. <laughs> the only thing I see is, you know, killing the domestic hardware market, but whatever. So um, I know, you know, and, and this would be kind of jumping way forward, but so, you know, you have the use space thing and you see all of these, uh, uh, you know, all of this crowing from Europe. Oh, we're going to have this and we're going to have that. And we're going to have use space and it's going to go and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And was it the woman from Yaza that was the head of, uh, Yaza that said, we're doing it by 2023. It's going to kick off and it's going to be happening. And, uh, you know, that's that deadline's uh, approaching rather quickly. And as far as I know, there aren't the standards in place or the agreements in place to make that happen. Is that a fair assessment or am I behind the times on that? That's correct. I mean, they have guidance materials and, and uh, proposed standards and they've been published, but, you know, they're not the law there by any sort of order from the EU is still a working process. So it's not going to happen in 23. That's obvious. And you're going to see an order coming out here shortly that will extend the time another year, probably. It's not longer. Right. Well, and that's, you know, so that's, that's why I tell people, you know, you, you hear this stuff, you know, it's kicking off and, you know, and anybody who's really investing in any of this and the flying car thing and all the rest of it, like, yeah, I, it's, it's one of those deals like the music man, you know, where the guy came to town and he's selling people a false bill of goods. But one other, you know, we touched on standards before, and I think he also put up some money to validate the 800 plus minus standards in the world. Did you see that? So I want to say it's like it's close yeah. to 400,000 euros. Did you see that? Yep. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And uh, so I kind of commented more grousing from that Egan guy. And I, I kind of look at this from like a business perspective, but I, I, I'm like, okay. And I, we may have talked about this too in the past, but I, you know, for me, she got 800 standards, right? You got 400,000 euros. And they want to have, they, they put out this tender to have people vet those standards. And my comment was, okay, so we're, we're doing the old school thing here, right? So you're, you're probably one of the guys that would fit into my my idea that there's a handful of people on the planet who have been here long enough to understand, let's say, that that whole history and process uh, of the, the standards work 
for the integration of UAS into the global airspace system, yada, yada. Um, you understand the twists and turns it's in the book. There's a lot of history in here. And that's, you know, one of the reasons that uh, you're on here today is so that other people can kind of learn this and, and why it's such a heavy lift. So in my mind, there's only, there's a handful of people that understand this, understand the law, understand the process, understand the history, yada, 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 right? And those handful of people, I want to say it's less than $400 a standard to vet the standards. To me, that's really not enough money. What, what are your thoughts on that? No, it's <laughs> definitely not enough. I mean, it's, yeah, there's a, a tremendous amount of work that has to go into not only understanding the history and the process, but having some sort of vision into the future as to what their goals are, what what they think they can accomplish. And, um, yeah, it's it's going to require a major effort to, to vet through all these standards. And if that's all they're offering, they're not going to get the right people, unfortunately. No, no. And I think, you know, you just uh, – you just – pretty much made the point I was getting at because, you know, so, you know, you want right. to, I mean, some people like reading standards, you know, Hey, great. You know, yeah. but there's, it's almost like a forensic type of thing. Right. So, so again, you know, go back to the handful of people, you're going to read the standard. Hmm. Hmm. Oh yeah. I remember this. I remember that concept. I remember when this was the uh, stated goal of whatever regulator, if it was, you know, CASA or transport, Canada, or if it was FAA or whoever, right? And you remember the concept and the drive, and when this was the the, the goal, and blah blah blah. So it's 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 a if somebody goes in cold, like you just say, you pulled in some grad student, you know, pull them in here, read that standard, they're not going to understand all of those nuances. So for me, I'd like you know, some person that has that level of expertise is not. One, going to spend the time to read the standard, and two, you know, they're going to peruse it and give it their stamp of approval, and then put their professional uh, reputation on the line, all for three hundred and something euros. Hey, yeah. I don't, I don't think no. that's realistic. You know, it's not going to happen. That's, they're they're going to have to appoint some sort of a a super commission or some body of experts, you know, with a wide range of expertise. Who, who can sit down and have some authority on them you know, to be able to just make the recommendations and suggestions and and have the authorities uh, uh, that are running this operation respect it and, and take action. Um, exactly. You know, there's and, guys and so it's, it's around that you and I both know very well that, that have been involved in this for over 20 years, well over 20 years, 20, 25 years, and, you know, they'd be ideal to sit on something like that. Uh, to grind through it because as you know with your experience with RTCA and ASTM and other SDOs you can put out any standard out there no matter how well written and somebody's going to pick it apart uh, they won't exactly. like it you know it, it interferes with you know their business model or just some you know personal idiosyncrasy that they don't like what, the way it looks and so if they have a veto power over it then you know then it stalls and it takes years to resolve it so that, that exactly. whole public engagement process in and of itself is a, is a science and an art. You know, how do you get people to, to have a common goal, which is, you know, in this case, the safe integration of the systems? I mean, that should be simple, but it isn't <laughs> for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I think it's a new yeah. task. That, 
that they've undertaken. It is. It, it is, and, and you're you're hitting on more um, points, and it's all here in the book. But the thing is, so those people that you're referencing, I mean, I can I can see them smiling in my mind, and uh, yeah, a yeah. lot of those people that you just referenced have been described to me as people with sharp elbows. And I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a meeting that uh, Ron Vandelegraaf, you know Ron? From, oh, yeah. Uh, he's okay. from, uh, <laughs> now that guy, he was a government employee, but man, that guy <laughs> could run a meeting. I remember <laughs> being in, in a meeting with him, and uh, that dude turned on a dime. I can't even say the stuff he said because it's a family show, but I was like, man, if we had more guys like Ron in government, Things would probably be getting done. He's a, he's very yep. good at. Uh, I was impressed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I think he, he was a few, he's one of uh, uh, one of Peter Van Blyenberg's favorite sons, I guess. <laughs> I think he told someone to shut the f up. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, all right, we get something done here. But yeah, so you know, there are a few there are a few people out there that can do this, but again. Huge undertaking, and for them to even put their stamp of approval on something is, you know, that's a big lift. So, you know, as we go through this, and I hope people are understanding, I mean, you know, some of the stuff you said, you know, some of the standards are are working with the the regulatory body and all the rest of that. I'm going to throw out an example right now, and this is probably something you remember from the ARC, Okay. And you might remember, like our camp, we were we were talking about an under four pound exemption, which was, I mean, I even wrote it. I sat down with the AOPA guy. Um, God, what was his name? Was on the tip of my tongue there. I also had uh, HAI Dave York and Ellis. Um, I can't remember Ellis's last name from Alpa, but um, right. Anyway, we sat down and uh, Rob AOPA was Rob. I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, well, we I remember the first thing. names. I can't remember any last names. Yeah, I mean, that's how tight we were. <laughs> anyway, as right. a group. Um, but you remember? I remember. You know, Ted Wersmanowski. There's another one, right? You know, and that's a little. Yep. Uh, I have a little resentment. It's like he never invited me to go fishing on his boat. Can you believe that? Son of a no, sea cook. No, I didn't. He didn't invite me either. So that's real bad. <laughs> Okay, good. I thought it was personal. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, you know, so you remember he said, oh, yeah, the raven, you know, the raven falls apart, blah, 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 but, you know, the wings are covered in Kevlar. And that, so, you know, when you were talking about nomenclature, Kevlar set off alarm bells. You know, you had uh, Dave York from HAI, which was a great guy. He, he, told, uh, he told the good jokes. That was for sure the way he was very deadpan, but oh god, yeah, he was a, a Vietnam helicopter pilot. And as soon as he heard Kevlar, in his mind, that was bulletproof. Oh, if that goes into a tail rotor, you know, you're gonna go in and blah blah blah. Do you remember that? That that curve level? Yeah, I do. Yep. So that makes kind of the point that you just said. Just even nomenclature even though that that kevlar is like it's thinner than a sheet of uh printer paper that just set off alarm bells and then scared them and there were problems so that's how fragile and delicate this process is and then you know you have to deal with you know those guys kind of block together 
the AOPA, HAI, ALPA guys. And all they think is, hey, we're doing this and our lives are on the line and equivalent levels of safety, yada, yada, yada. And it just keeps going on and on. Now, we're going to run long, but I don't really care. Do you have the time to run a little long on this deck? Sure. All right, good, because we got a long way to go. So, you know, you have the history in here, the IKO, which people may not understand, the Chicago Convention. That's a, there's a whole history lesson there. <clears throat> I got 50-plus countries involved, um, and it's, it's kind of the international governing body, blah, 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 goes on. And then you start talking about the member states. And you've got, you know, some of the stuff we talked about in the European Union, some of the stuff outside of Europe. And you got South and Central America, and then you got Asia, and you've got all of these people trying to work together. And then this is going to be another way back thing. So when this deal kicked off, right, uh, you probably remember the only people that really had any regulation for our pass was uh, CASA. Remember that Mal Walker gentleman? Do you, you remember yes. that? And yeah, and that was, I mean, I, that had to be, I don't know, early two thousand one, two, something like that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, the early part of it. Yeah, and I remember thinking this guy is a total crackpot, this Mal Walker guy, um, but. In retrospect, it would appear that Mr. Walker was, like you just said, way out in front on that deal. You know, interesting. Yeah, they were. You know, so even Canada got in front of everybody else for a while. You know, they, you know, it's a huge country, but you know, a relatively small population, and you know, it seemed to, you know, the processes seemed to work a little more efficiently in Canada. Than they do here, you know. I, I would agree. They claim that they rely heavily on the FAA and, and our process here to kind of model what where they're going. But you know, they just got it done, which is impressive. And I would agree with that. Now, I thought the Transport Canada was, and I, I have to, and this goes back to that tug of war between who's leading the way and all the rest. Of that. Transport Canada, I thought, was pragmatic under the leadership of uh, Karen Tarr. I'm sure you remember her, right? Right. Yes. And uh, I thought she was approachable. Could talk to her. Hey, this is kind of, okay, well, great. Okay, you're going to need this. And, blah. and it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was the shine on, you know. Uh, same deal with uh, CAA UK. You had that uh, Dobson and Whitaker. Those two guys were working together. I met them at uh, Peter's show. I think that was 2008 or nine. Right. And I said, hey, you know, uh, I want to fly an unmanned blimp at the Olympics. Yeah, great. Sounds good. Come on over here. Let's talk about it. Sit down, you know. And again, it was not the shine on. And there's a lot of people that say, you know, I talked to um, Joe Bag of Donuts over at the FAA, and it turns out to be like a shine on. Uh, I thought that they were pragmatic, and I'm not, you know, talking my country down or whatever. It, it just seemed like more pragmatic. And maybe, you know, to be fair, you know, a lot of these um, countries, like you said, you know, Canada does have a very large population. There's not a lot of people flying around. If, and I know you did some Arctic work, you know, if there's a mishap, you might, you know, uh, might 
making a polar bear angry because you crashed near his, his range or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So, so it might be a little bit of a different right. animal than we have here in the United States. The other thing that we have here in the United States, I don't think the drone crowd uh, really understands is, is the, the liability, uh, commercial uh, aviation liability. And uh, I know in Europe there's like limits, you know, if there's a crash of a, of, of, of a um, let's say, livery aircraft, you know, and somebody dies, there's limits on that. And here, there are no limits. Am I correct on that or did I get my wires crossed? There are no limits for domestic flights, but we're part of an international, uh, ICAO has uh, a different system for an international flight. So it depends on where the, the accident occurs, yeah. You know, there's See? there are limitations for international flights, but not here domestically. So yes, there are nuances on all of that. So right. you know, as 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 we go through this, and we we touched on the European thing, and so you know, I mean, this is and and my hats off to you on this too. I mean, you were able to do this in you know uh, a relatively small book, so you must have sat there and really had to let's say parse a lot out that's what I, that's what i see in here that this must have been a huge undertaking especially if you spent that much time on it right <laughs> and all of the history yeah. all of the things that we've talked yeah. about so i mean what was that like you, you just have to like start going through there and jettisoning stuff you're like oh my god or or what what, what was that like well it, each one of these chapters uh, there's only eight chapters in the book each one could have been a book of their own, really, if you really got down into the weeds. And so what I was trying to do in, in, in putting this book together, and you're right, it's a relatively small book, but that was intentional. I was just trying to give an overview of some of the major issues and make it readable. You know, it's if you an academic or in a college or university class or even high school, if a professor assigns a 500-page book that's just chock full of the stuff that we're talking about, nobody's going to read it. So this is sort of an introductory process and, and just introducing these issues to industry professionals and academics and researchers and other interested people so they can see where, where the issues are. And there's more to, more to do after that. I could, you know, The book could have been three times longer than it was. Uh, yeah, you're right. It took a lot just to, to parse everything and, and kind of condense it down into a manageable um, well, I, I, I got that right off, right off the bat. That I, I was like, you know, wow, I was I was pretty impressed that you were able to kind of carve it down to that. And I would agree with what you just said. You know, your focus for uh, academia and whatever else. So, one of those things I, I'm pretty active on, uh, you know, LinkedIn and, and Twitter, and you know, write stories and whatever else. And you have this historical perspective. Um, but there is not something where people can say, okay, well, where do I go learn about this? You know, where, where, do, where would I go and get all the information and stuff you're talking about? Because it, it seems like it's so obscure and so abstract and it's too, too large to get your arms around. And that is what I think this book does. Uh, I think that you're, you're correct. You know, hey, you want to know a history of where, where we're at here and how we got here? Here you go, without having to buy the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> right. And I'm sure and there's other, that's other books that have been written on that, you know. 
<laughs> right. And it, it's kind of perhaps, I mean, you get, you know, you got the U space thing here, you have the UTM thing. I'm looking at, uh, you know, the pictures from the Reno thing, which I was at. And, uh, you know, so they, they have all of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you just, yeah, I think you, 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 you got a really good, uh, even better than just a high altitude view, uh, because I think this is, if somebody actually, in my estimation, bought this book, read it, and were to say, like, go to one of the uh, DAC meetings, I know they changed the name, but if you went to a DAC meeting or you went to one of the standards group or you went to uh, some, you know, it's a high level symposium, you would understand what they're talking about. I do not believe, like, at these, um, like even the FAA symposium or whatever, you know, that, uh, Joe Bag of Donuts goes rolling in there and, you know, knows what these people are talking about. I envision it much to be like Charlie Brown's parents, you know, because you just, you, you couldn't know all this stuff. But I think that if you read the book, you have a pretty good handle. You could walk in and, and be uh, pretty educated and understand. I'm not going to say you can understand everything, but you would, you, you would be uh, aware of the concepts in history. And I guess so that was your your goal in, in putting this together. Yeah, you're right. That's a good way of putting it. I, it's an introductory, it doesn't say that in the title, but it's, it's introducing kind of the, the neophyte, the person that doesn't know a whole lot about this industry to, I think, the major topics, the things that they need to be concerned about. And having a little history, historical context along the way helps. But then in the last two chapters, uh, seven, which I really get into to the processes for assessing risk and, you know, the, the, the various elements, the safety issues that are inherent in these systems or the airspace system as well as the, the technology that flies in it. And then chapter eight is cybersecurity, which I think is a huge topic. And, you know, it's, it's not being, I mean, I, I know it's being dealt with, but you don't see a lot written about it. And there are conferences and meetings all over the world that people are concerned about it. And I think that the, the vulnerability of all of these systems to uh, hostile actions by, you know, bad actors is, is a major barrier to any of this working. Uh, it, it's not going to be successful airspace integration until they can solve the security issues. Uh, I would not agree with that. And, and, and those, uh, the technology, I think this is something that uh, other people, and again, you know, the, the newcomers and you were talking about others turnover and things like that. So a lot of people wrongly believe I go to Best Buy, I buy a drone and three months from now I'm an expert. I know, yeah, I, I pretty much know everything there is to know about droning, you know. And right. some of the things that you're talking about, so this uh, cybersecurity, um, you know, there's, I, I would, there's vulnerabilities with the technology. People don't understand how intelligence gathered. You got one part of that. You got uh, bad actors. I mean, there's people, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not really a software guy, but I, there's, they can spoof the RID already. They can spoof the command and control. There, there's all of these different things that can be done. And you can go out on Reddit and buy these downloads and do all kinds of different things with, with these commercial drugs. So I right. think that people are underestimating the risks 
over um, confident in the technology. And that's even goes into the AAM thing. You know, it's like we, we, I'm on uh, working for some other people on another contract and it's like, nobody really even knows what's going on frequency wise in these major metropolitan areas. Did a lot of flying in San Francisco as my being an art teacher and in different parts of town, there are, you know, offices and there are what I would call just, you know, frequency saturation, um, Wi-Fi, uh, 1.4 gig, you got your uh, 5.8, you got all of these different, and you'll have video dropout, you have command and control dropout in, in relatively short distances. And I don't think anybody knows about that, or even the um, multipathing from GPS. I've seen it myself near building with these, 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 these drones will shift position. The other thing that uh, these guys write in the code for the open source order autopilots, again, you know, we kind of talked about some of that certification. Uh, you know, I've, I've watched this stuff with my own eyes. You know, you've got eddies over, um, you know, natural geography, trees, buildings, whatever. And the real world situation, the autopilots can't handle them and these things fall out of the sky. Um, you know, and hopefully you're not doing that uh, over people, right? So uh, I, I, th I think that there are some misconceptions about the technology. And I, I also believe, I know that there's frustration with the beyond visual line of sight. And I think that you can do beyond visual line of sight. If you agree or disagree in certain areas, like you say, you know, there's a risk analysis that you could do. And you can say, oh, okay, well, we're out here in Corn Bluff, Iowa, and you want to fly a one-pound drone that has a, you know, uh, an endurance of you could fly it for five miles, whatever. You, know, you can figure it out. But everybody wants to fly in downtown L.A., you know, off the bat. Would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, well, not, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that are doing that. In fact, almost all of them are doing it without authorization or even competency to do it, even if they were authorized. It's uh yeah, it, again, the FAA can't stay up with the demand uh, in the user community, and the technology itself is, is, is not staying up with the desires of the users. Um, you know, there's a new development, it seems like every day. You know, you, you put them on your website, and you know, there's other news consolidators that do the same thing. There's not a day that goes by I don't see something that says, wow, okay, <laughs> there's something new. You know, or there's a, a threat that I wasn't aware of, or uh, there's a piece of technology here that may solve that one small component of the, of the threat risk. It's amazing how dynamic it is. It, it really is. It's just extraordinary. But I, I think the oh. whole system, the whole environment is incredibly vulnerable uh, to disruptions and shutdowns and I, you know, if North Korea wanted to, they could probably shut down our air traffic control system entirely with the push of a button. Right. I mean, that, that thought scares me. You know, with 3,000 airplanes in the air at one time, all of them you know, seeking an airport somewhere. And, uh, you know, that's crazy. It scares the heck out of me. You know, well, be an act of war to do something like that, but still. Well, and I agree, and there's there are a lot of vulnerabilities, and uh, I think you know the other thing is just what we're seeing transpiring in the Ukraine. I mean, we've seen bad actors use this, this is another thing that always kind of gets my goat, and this is a little bit of moral writing that I think we've done here in this country. 
Um, and I'm sure it happens in, I think, in other Western countries too. But, um, you know, I, I remember ringing the bell, hey, you know, in 2008 or nine, saying you could have $1,000 Chinese UAV. People laughing at me, laughing me out of the room. Yeah. Or, you know, that the Iranians have a, a domestic uh, drone program and being laughed at. There's, there's no way they can do that. Um, there's crippling sanctions. And I'm like, well, here they are. Here's, here's pictures. No, it's not right. a problem. And, and now it's this problem. And I think that we're really behind the eight ball. You talk about vulnerabilities. You, you know, there's some tests they're going to do, the military is going to do, where they're going to, like, simulate, you know, 40 drone swarm attack while the Chinese are doing drone shows with 5,200 drones. You know? Right. <laughs> You're going to have to be cast in a wide net uh, for that. So, you know, those things need to be uh, come to terms with. And then and that is one of the uh, other frustrations I have with the regulatory side of this is I think what's happening is is there's been an artificial break on the wheel here in the United States and people, you know, we're not building our own hardware, we're not building our own solutions for these problems. Would, would you agree or disagree with that? No, I agree. Uh, it's too much of what's foreign made and you don't know what's been embedded in some of these systems. Uh, you know, a clever developer or uh, programmer can embed a you know worm hole into a, a computer chip and it's almost virtually undetectable until the worst happens. You know, exactly the so there are some of these systems exactly yeah. and so the last last point i want to hit on here because this is also in the book and i think that this is a progression from and, and this is one of the things that i kind of laugh at too so we have the drone or UAS or RPAS or whatever you want to call them. Many, many names, same thing. And then we have that progression, and now we're getting into this advanced air mobility and the flying cars and all the rest of that. And I remember asking Joe Ben, you know, Joe B, aviation guy, back in 2018, I, I, they, they asked me to come to this thing because I asked these hard questions. And I said, hey, look, you know, um, we've been working, you know, for a long time on trying to integrate now what i would call the 251 gram drone into the nas full integration right and you guys are talking about this new technology new fuel source new concept which is not really new but you know whatever we'll call it new or whatever and you guys think you're gonna you know get this into the into the airspace when oh you know we're gonna be we're going to have a type certification by 2020. And I, I just was chuckling. And I'm like, uh, I, oh, okay. Right. You know, I don't want to be Debbie Downer. But do you, what, I mean, you know, what, how, do you see, I, I see, I mean, you see the people jumping into the drone thing and right into the AM thing. I mean, are these guys dreaming uh, 20 years, 40 years, billions? What, what, well, what I think, what, what? yeah, I think it's a pie in the sky progression. I, you know, 2030 is unrealistic, in my opinion, uh, because the global community is so far away from solving the problems and, and coming up with the proper solutions to make the system safe. I can't see it. I really can't, not for another 20 or 30 years at the earliest, um, yeah. you know, unless something extraordinary happens. I don't know what that would be, but well, and, it's crazy. But this, okay, so, you know, in Chapter 7 in the technology thing, you talk, I mean, here, this is, this is, I mean, this is the stuff that these, you know, you have the uh, flying car companies are like, oh, they're going to be, how we're going to make it pencil is they're going to be autonomous. It's like, I would, 
what dispensary are you buying your weed from, man? That's, that's all I could think of is because we don't even have that for the 251 uh, gram drug, right? I mean, you have yeah. right, the detect and avoid and sense and avoid capability, autonomous operations, the beyond visual line of sight. Uh, you know, is it going to be RID, ADSB, transponders? I mean, that's a, are you going to have all these things flying around uh, willy-nilly? Uh, I, you know, I, so there's a lot of these things do overlay. And I think that people even getting into the AAM thing uh, would benefit from reading this book. Because I think that they would, especially if I was an investor, if you're an investor in a flying car company or drone company, drone delivery or whatever else, before you're going to dive off, you should read this book and get educated. And that's my opinion. Well, yeah, read chapter seven and eight. I mean, I raise a lot of questions. I don't offer any solutions. Just these are the things you need to be thinking about. And the okay. risk assessment and the oversight process goes from, you know, at the top level, the global uh, airspace system, down to computer chips and, and the people that design them. And, I mean, there's so many layers of concern where there are not the processes to fully vet uh, the risk issues along the way. Um, you know, it's going to take years to sort all this out. Maybe artificial intelligence will fix it all someday, but not, not now. It's, um, right. I, I got misgivings about the AI. Um, but, you know, that's a whole other show. So, okay, so in closing, you know, where, where you know, you said you didn't have any solutions here, but I want to hear this silver bullet, Doug. I want to hear, like, if you do X, Y, and Z in two weeks, we'll be – Fully integrated in the <laughs> do you have any, no. have any uh, magic tricks for us there? <laughs> you know, no. if, I, if I was an investor, I'd, I'd want to be asking these questions. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, Especially if you're betting the yeah. retirement money on it, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't invest in any of this be... unless I could get all those questions answered. You'd be staring down the barrel of dog food in the trailer in Barstow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's about all you got. All right. Well, um, I mean, we we covered a lot. It's funny, you know, we covered so much history of this, but that all of this. I mean, if you're, you know, if you you're in this industry, it's in the book. Get educated. Um, you're going to know the trials and tribulations of pitfalls and, and what needs to be done. So my hat's off to you for even uh, taking this project on uh, and, and helping to educate uh, the rest of us. I have been asked in academic situations, is there a book? I mean, is there, you know, and I'm like, no, one doesn't really exist. Uh, and I, I think that you uh, hit the mark on this one, Doug. Well, thank you. I hope so. Yeah, if not, exactly. I'll uh, uh, have to do a second edition. Exactly. Well, like you said, I think you could do a book on pretty much every one of the chapters and turn it into, you know, this Encyclopedia Britannica deal. You could probably sell them door to door. Yeah, I'd and, have to uh, hire a whole team to help write it because I don't have the time. Exactly. All right. Well, I appreciate your time today, and I'm sure we'll be talking in the future. Um, the links now. You, okay, I want to let's let's do this real quick, but in closing, because if people are like, oh, get out, I want to buy the book. 
And so the easiest way to buy the book is they can go to your website, which is? www.truenorthconsulting.org. Okay. And there'll be a link on there, or you can go to, yeah, uh, you, you can buy it at Amazon and search it, right? Right. And then you Wiley, it. it's uh, Wiley.com forward slash buy, B-Y, forward slash 9781118339497. But if you publish anything on this this podcast, that's that's the website for a direct buy from okay. Wiley. But, yeah, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. Uh, yeah, you can, but there's a you direct can, link uh, on, search on my website. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, there's, there's multiple search. ways to get it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a story together for this, and all the links will be in there. And you can uh, – okay. Listeners can go there and buy and get themselves uh, educated, which I think if you're going to, if you really want to be in this business, you should get educated. It's it's one of those deals. There's there's an old joke about how to, how to make like a million dollars in aviation. And it's like, start out with $2 million and work your way down to 1 million or whatever. Yeah. I forget what it is exactly, but yeah, that, that's, yeah. Or or buy, buy an airline, Uh, watch it go (laughs) in the toilet. Exactly. All right, Doug. Well, thanks a lot for your uh, time today, and we'll be talking in the future. And thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. All right. My pleasure. Thanks, Patrick. Have a good day. You too. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.